to those that cry out to you that you won't ignore or forsake or forget. So Father, I pray as that as we cry out to you, that you would move and let your spirit uh, touch those and answer prayers and show up in only the way that you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys. Take that video. series is called Life Worth Living, and uh, last week I talked a little bit about this life that Jesus offers for us and how we can enter in, into that. Today I'll talk a little more about that. I want to invite you back next week where we'll talk about a, a, a connected life, a life with other people, what it looks like to, to improve our life with our relationships around us. Uh, Pastor Jeff Ford will be sharing that message. It'll be a great opportunity for you guys to, to connect and hear that next week. The following week we'll talk a little bit about living a rich life, and I do have to say that I will not be giving out free money, like I said last week. Uh, the finance team called me quickly afterwards and said, no, you can't do that. So, uh, but uh, maybe I'll sneak it in or something like that. We'll see. Monopoly money or we'll have some fun with it. Uh, that's in the following week. And then, um, and then the week right before Thanksgiving, we're going to have our big, which we're going to call our Thanks Gala, which will be talking about a thankful life. And we'll have a great time celebrating all our volunteers and all the people that make DFMC work uh, here. It's going to be a great opportunity. You won't want to miss uh, that service. For that, but today I was really had this really, really wonderful, awesome sermon planned, and it is rare. But sometimes I get my message done on Monday. Now Mondays are my day off; it's my family day. But something happened in my life, and something happened in my heart. It started stirring right after the service last week, and I went home all Sunday, this rattling through in my brain. And I got up on on Monday, and I spent some time with my wife as we went out. And we celebrated our day off, and then I came back, and it's still rattling around. And I came over to the office, and I, guys, planned the best sermon ever. It was so good. I mean, this is one of those sermons that you know everyone here would get saved about three times. That's how good that message was. I mean, there'd be no devil, yay God. It would have been so, so great. I know this man, he was one of those top ones. Like if there was an award for best sermon ever, this would win it. I mean, this would take the Oscar or, or whatever it would be. Well then, Tuesday came, I'm thinking, I got the sermon planned. I could coast the rest of the week. Wednesday came, and then Thursday came, and I heard pretty clearly, nope. God saying, that's not the message that I want you to share this week. So I scrambled. I'm putting some things together, and, and, and the reason I came to that point of realization of this wasn't the message that you want to hear somewhere like, well, can we just hear it anyway? It sounds so good. Maybe it wasn't that good, but 
But this message that I want to share today is centered on a continuation from last week. Because honestly, if I was to be totally upfront and vulnerable with you, I let you down last week. Because I skipped over one particular word. I didn't want to go there because I wasn't in my heart ready to go there. And as we talked last week about living the life and wanting to live a life for God, I overlooked one particular word, one particular phrase that I just said, I hope no one catches it because I don't want to go there. I hope that I can be a good enough speaker that I can bluff them through and let them forget the hole in that sermon. And I was ready to preach this great message and move on, and you would be none the wiser. But I felt God say, Shane, you need to wrestle with this. And you need to share your wrestling with the people on Sunday. So here we go. Here's my wrestling. And it centers down to one particular word. And I want you guys to, to wrestle with this. I want you guys to be bothered a little bit. I want you guys to feel the angst and the anxiety that I felt this week. Because this is the phrase. If you remember last week, we talked about what? The rich young ruler. Who here knows that story? You know this story about this individual who's trying to prove himself and trying to find life and earn life. But there's a phrase that this person used when he talked to Jesus and he interacted with Jesus and Jesus picked up on it and I missed it and I moved on. But today we're going to deal with it. Good, bad, and ugly. We're going to go for it. Okay? This is what it says. This is Luke chapter 18. This is Luke's a version of the same story that we read last week out of the book of Matthew. And this is just the touch of the story, but it, 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 asks, it asks us this question. It gets us to this place, and then we'll start wrestling. And this, this certain ruler, this rich young ruler, asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember this question from last week? But, but what Jesus does in this particular passage, and, but he did last week too, out of Matthew, and, and he stops right there, and I'm going to stop right there. He says this. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You see, there's something about the word good when we use it to relate to life. And our definition of the word good, our expectation of the word good is different than what Jesus' definition of the word good is. Guys, I've been through this experience a lot, and I really, 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 if I'm totally honest with you, want Jesus to do good things in my life based on my definition of good. I want a good life Jesus, I want good things in my good life. And I hear Jesus saying, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a, we got to work on this definition of good. Because all of you know the idea of good. You, you realize that, right? Who here has ever had a steak before? But who here has had a good steak? Who here has ever had coffee before? But who here has had good coffee? Who here has had a friend before? But who here has ever had a good friend? You guys know the, the longing of good, the difference that good makes, why we should strive towards that, why Jesus stops him 
It doesn't talk, doesn't really answer the question, but takes a point to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just talk for a moment about good. What is good? Let me add another layer of confusion, a layer of frustration to this point. Because Luke, in the very next chapter, uses this same Greek word. He drops it again. He uses it on us again. Offers more confusion to my brain this week. I'm on Monday. My sermon's done. But on Tuesday, I'm reading my sermon back over from the week before. And I'm struggling with this idea. I'm hiding it. I'm stuffing it. And this is what I read in Luke chapter 19. You might know this phrase. This is the parable of, of, the, of the servants that, that this master sends out. He gives them each talents and tells them to be faithful with the talents. And then he comes back and asks for a report. And the one that shows a positive return on his talents, the master says these words, well done, my good servant. Well done, my servant. Well done, my okay servant, my average servant. No, my good servant. We, we want to hear this. We, as good achievers and, and good uh, Americans, I think, want to be the best, want to be the, the goodest. Is that, can, I, can I say that? No. We want to, to have this expression. Some of us feel this expression, but some of us long for this, especially in the area when our life over here is over and we go to the pearly gates and we look through the gates and we see the mansions and the golden streets and we see Jesus back there going, come on in. And we want to hear him say, well done, my good servant. Come on in. You made it. You're here. But what is good? How do we define that? And, and if I'm honest with myself, have I missed Jesus' best for my definition of good? Okay, here's the crux of it. Okay? Here's, here's, here's the, the, the realization of all. This is what messed me up this week where I ditched the world's best sermon in order to give you this one. You ever hear a sermon? You ever hear a good sermon? This story is the one that I want us to struggle with and hopefully get some definition, some understanding of what is good. It's the story in Luke chapter 10. This is how the story goes. Jesus and his disciples were on their way, came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to her listening to what he had said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Just stop there. Let's just stop there. Who here has ever had invited someone over to their house? Who here has invited someone over to your mom's house without asking them? <laughs> and your mom freaks out. How dare you come over to my house? It's not clean, right? <laughs> And you're shoving things into closets. I remember when Mary and I were first married, we, uh, we did not have a dishwasher in our first home. <gasps> first world problems, I know. And we, we didn't like doing dishes. I hated them, and she tolerated them. And so we just refused to, to not do them. And then I invited someone over to the house, and we had just every dish in our cupboards was dirty. 
and it's doing, instead of doing dictionary, they're coming over in 10 minutes. Thanks, Shane, for inviting them over. What did I do? I threw them all in a box and took them downstairs. <laughs> Someone stole all my dishes! You understand this angst of someone coming over and wanting to offer the preparations to look immaculate. Let me tell you, let me take this to the next level. In the Middle East, this is so true. When I go over to the Middle East, it is an honor to invite someone into your home. I go over in Rami's ministry, he serves 4,000 refugees. That's 4,000 homes. That's 4,000 invitations. That's 4,000 dinners that I have to eat. <laughs> Do you realize that the, 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 the expectation of hospitality in that area, actually, this is true. You can ask Rami when he comes in a few weeks. When they invite you over and they set out the spread of food, if you eat it all, it looks bad on them. So they have to prep to have so much food, about half the food has to be uneaten or it reflects bad on the host. There's no cleaning your plate in the Middle East. They just bring out more food and more food and more food. They will even go into debt in order to produce the positive hospitality in the area. Do you understand the angst? that Martha is going through. Jesus is showing up in her house and she's bringing out all, picking out all the stops. Mary would use the expression, putting on the dog. Do you know that expression? I have no idea what that means, but it's something Southern. I guess they serve hot dogs, I guess. I have to ask her about it. But they went full out. And then she has a sister. Her sister is Mary. And Mary is not doing anything. Where's Mary at? She's sitting down in the living room at Jesus' feet while Martha's working her butt off, preparing everything. And you can see the tension rising, right? Next section in verse 40. She came to him. Martha came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? This sounds so much like my mom. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Puts Jesus in a really awkward spot. You ever go over to someone's house and they say, hey, can you tell my kids to shape up, you know? Can you tell my kids to get out there and mow the lawn? It's a little awkward. I love Jesus' response. Martha, Martha. He must be serious because he says it twice, right? Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. And she's like, uh-huh. But few things are necessary. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen, here's our word, it's translated better, but it really is, in the Greek, more good. The good thing. She has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from. Now, now I, got, I got a problem with Jesus in this verse. This is my struggle. Because Jesus is saying that when it comes to Jesus, all we got to do is sit and soak it up and not work. All we got to do is not do anything for Jesus and just sit there. And the reason I struggle with this is because I've been doing things for Jesus my whole life. And some of you have too. 
Some of you know how many Bible classes you've taken. Some of you have memorized Bible verses. Some of you have read the Bible front to back, or at least the good parts. Maybe you skipped Leviticus, because it's just a little boring. And then some of you have gone to church every day of the week. Some of you guys have done the prayer life, have done the prayer stuff. You've prayed your prayers. You've prayed other people's prayers. You've prayed the Lord's prayer. You've done the prayer of Jabez. You've done the prayer of Joseph. You've done the prayer of Mary. You've done everyone's prayer. You guys know what it's like to do and to do and to do. And my question to you is, does that produce the good life? Does doing and doing and doing and doing and reading and reading and reading and studying and studying and studying and praying and praying and fasting and fasting and churching and communing and all the rest of the church stuff, does that give you the good life you're looking for? In my life, I'm honest with myself. On Thursday this past week when I read this story, it wasn't part of my sermon, but I read this story because I was on a rabbit trail from the previous Sunday and I ended up with this and I said, no. Jesus is not saying that. There is something better than doing all this stuff. There's something better. And if there's something better, I want that. What is it? Well, here, here's the sense of it, okay? Here's the sense of it. In this story, Jesus is picking up on something that, that, that we're just not seeing, okay? We're not <clears throat> grasping the sense of it. He's not saying anything about what Martha's doing or what she's not doing. She's not saying you're wrong, you're messing up, you're going to go to hell now because you're doing all this stuff, and, and, and Mary's doing so much better because she's sitting here listening to me, that's all that you needed. She's not saying that at all. She's just saying, you are upset, you are clearly freaking out. And you're doing all this stuff and that's what it produces? Shouldn't there be something better? Isn't your sister who is sitting here calm and open and listening, choosing something better? I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm not going to make her go join your stress. This is better. Guys, let me tell you, there is a spiritual frustration. There is a spiritual angst that comes with doing church, doing Jesus, doing God, doing this Christianese stuff, and it doesn't produce the good life. Let me tell you how to get it. Because what Mary had and what Martha had were a different perspective on what was important, different perspective on what Jesus wanted, a different perspective on what they could have. And let me tell you, there's a certain equation that you can work out in your life. If you want a different perspective, you want to change your perspective, I can give it to you. I can give you that perspective. Here's what you do. You change your place. You change your pace. And it changes your perspective. If you want to operate, you want to choose something better, you want to see Jesus in a different light, see him for what he really is, then you've got to break out of your routine. You know there's something in our life called our heuristic biases. And these heuristic biases are mental shortcuts in our brain that teach us to do things without thinking. Some of you did this this morning. You got up and you put your clothes on without thinking. And how do I know that? Because you look weird. No, <laughs> Some of you knew this when you brushed your teeth today. 
Some of you grabbed the toothbrush, put the toothpaste on there, and started brushing the teeth, and you didn't even think about it. You didn't think, did I get that teeth? Did I get that tooth? Did I get that tooth? Some of you did. Some of you, I know, are very, uh, very much achievers when it comes to brushing your teeth. Future dentists, I know. You guys are going to get every tooth. But I did it. I just went in. I didn't even think about it. Some of you didn't even brush your teeth today because you didn't think about it. You see, we create these mental shortcuts in our brain to create shortcuts so we don't have to think about everything. But the problem is, is it produces routine. It produces unintentionality. It produces, produces the same, the same, the same. And I don't want my relationship with Jesus to be the same, the same, the same. I want something new. I want something good in my connection with Jesus. So if I want a change of perspective, I've got to break out of my routine. And if I want to break out of my routine, I've got to change my pace, and I've got to change my place. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Let's talk about pace. Let's talk about speed. In our culture, we are told faster is better. Your life is a race, and you need to win it. You need to move faster. And some of you experience this on a weekly basis. Your week is a track meet. You go from place to place, to thing to thing, from family to work and back again, and to school, and to PTO, and to soccer games, and to dance places. How, where does Jesus fit into all of that? Well, you shove them in when you can, right? Don't tell me I can't do Jesus. That's just another place I can shove it in. I've got my Bible on. I can, I can listen to my Bible while I'm driving. And I can let, let it fill me that way. I'm not saying it's wrong, guys. I'm not saying, but I'm saying it produces what? Anxiety? Who here would say, you know, I wish I had an extra day? Why? So I could fill it with more stuff. <laughs> Our speed is out of this world. And we're expecting in that moment for God to show up. God, hit me in my speed. I'm taking a five-minute break, God. Okay, it's time for you to show up. Okay, five minutes over. Good one, God. I'm moving on. We miss it. No, I'm not saying there might be no way for you to, to find a break into that, but I'm telling you, if you want to schedule a break, find a time. Let me tell you, this could be the best thing you've heard all year. The most spiritual thing you can do is maybe take a nap for Jesus. Amen? Some of you are like, the Lions are playing this afternoon. I usually take a nap there. <laughs> Change your pace. Slow down. Do you know countless times in Scripture, Jesus changed his pace. He changed his routine. Do you know that it says in Genesis that God created the world in six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He created a whole other world, right? He was working. Worked that Sunday. Come on. He rested. How many of you think you're better than God? Oh, I don't need to rest. I can move it. Why do you think God did that? Why do you think the, the writers of Genesis included the listing of days? Maybe it was for us to remind us to slow down. Martha's running all over the place. 
in and out of the kitchen, checking the stove, checking the fridge, <laughs> calling Uber Eats. Martha's just sitting. Wow, Jesus, that's amazing. I don't want to miss a moment here. But it's not just pace. It's also place. Now, I don't want you to think about place in the idea of, of changing your uh, actual uh, latitude or longitude or your actual geography. There's some truth to that. In my week, I tell you what, my Thursday, I told you about my Thursday experience, you know, forget the sermon, here's a new one, try to try this one for size. That happened in my change of place. On my Thursday morning, I, I change my place. I don't work in the office. I go some other place, and I find God in those moments. I hear God in those moments. And that's where that happened for me. Do you know that when it comes to geography, what really matters is to be as close to Jesus as you can. Whatever way that works for you is what you want. Do you know Mary is mentioned three times in Scripture? Do you know where she's at each time she's listed? At the feet of Jesus. Her geography matters. Her proximity to her center matters. Let me tell you, you need to find a different way of getting close to Jesus. Some of you only do the spiritual trilogy. You know what the spiritual trilogy are? If you want to get close to God, what do you do? You pray, read your Bible, go to church. Right? How people think that that's, that's the way to get close to God. And it is true. You can get close to God that way. But you can also get entirely frustrated trying to get close to God like that. Is there another way to approach God? Are there more ways to approach God? Now, there's some great teaching and some great writing out there. I don't got time to unpack this. But let me tell you, there are nine what they call spiritual pathways. Nine pathways, nine directions from where you're at to close to God that you need to find the way you were created. Some of you are still trying to shove yourself into prayer, reading your Bible, and going to church. And you're frustrated because there's no way for you to connect with God. And then when you find God accidentally, you trip over God or he interrupts your life. You think, oh, this is awesome. But I can't, I can't find him in the sunset. That ain't going to preach. That sounds terribly new age, right? Or I'm going to find him by serving other people? Come on, really? Well, what about memorizing Bible? What about knowing Scripture and praying? Let me give you the nine spiritual pathways. I don't have time to unpack these, but maybe there's one that tickles your fancy here. Maybe you can figure out where you're at. And if you can't figure out where you're at, maybe what you need to do is... Uh, is find out what it is. So what I'm going to do after this service today on our Facebook page, I'm going to share a link to an assessment that you can take that will you answer, I don't know, it's like 20 or 30 questions, and it gives you what your inclination is to one of these nine pathways. You can do that, and maybe that will help you understand how you might want to change your place in order to change your perspective. Here's what they are. Naturalists, loving God outdoors. Sensate, loving God through the senses. Traditionalists, loving God through rituals and symbols. Aesthetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Activists, loving God through confrontation. Caregivers, loving God by loving others. Enthusiasts, loving God with mystery and celebration. Con contemplatives, 
loving God through meditation, intellectuals, loving God by reading and studying and the academics. Find your pathway, guys. Give yourself freedom, not necessarily to change your place. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to find Jesus. But you can change the way you approach him. Remember, it's about getting close to him that matters. You were probably created with a pathway, with an inclination of how to get close to them, but it's your responsibility to find that. And if you do that, you slow down, make some space, it changes your perspective. It gives you a new sight. It allows you to hear things that maybe you've never heard before about yourself, about the world around you, and about the love that Jesus has for you. Guys, that's the good life. That's the life we want. The life close to Jesus. The life we were created to live. The life that we should choose after the busyness and the stress or something better. Something better. The band's going to come up. I'm going to share with you, uh, there's a, um, a very technical term, so much that I have to read it. It's called the, the law of, requ of requisite variety. You know this? It simply says that in any system, the part of the system that shows the most variety, the most change, will overpower the rest of the system. So in other words, if you are working in a business, the one that shows the most creativity, the one that shows the, the part of that that shows the most flexibility, will be the most productive team of that whole business, that whole system, that whole plant. The one that's able to, to, to move along and to change and not get stuck in routine, this is, this is important. Because a lot of us just would want the routine of life to be what we always want it to be. But if we can move the routine to our, move the, the law of requisite variety to our spiritual life, and we can make changes, and we can offer variety and creativity and openness, then, then that part of our life overtakes the rest of it, becomes the most powerful, the most, the most life-giving, the best part of our lives. But here's the thing. I can't do it for you. This is the hardest part for a pastor because I'd love for you just to give you the three-step program. Here you go. <laughs> do it, guys. I got it for you. Just come hear my sermons on Sunday and you'll get it because I know that doesn't work. I want it to, but it won't. You need to want it. You need to take ownership of your own spiritual development, your own proximity to Jesus, and move there. There's a phrase in the Old Testament. David coined it in the, in the Psalms. He's write these praise songs to God. And I love how he would start, regardless of wherever the song went. Sometimes he was brutally honest with the lyrics of his songs. But he would start, oh, my soul. Dot, dot. Oh, my soul. Get moving. Oh, my soul, praise him. Oh, my soul. You need to look into your heart and give yourself a pep talk. 
give yourself a movement and say, okay, I'm doing something. Oh, my soul, move it. Oh, my soul, I'm going to find my spiritual pathway. Oh, my soul, I'm going to break out of this routine. I'm going to change something, find a new place, make an opportunity, make space in my week to find God, to rest, to slow down. I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to go on a spiritual retreat. I'm going to go out into the woods until I find Jesus. I'm going to separate myself from what my normal routine is. I'm going to take it upon myself. Oh, my soul, I will find him. And I won't settle for the spiritual frustrations. And I will choose what is better. I will choose the good life. Father, we love you. And we know that you love us. And the times that we frustrated ourselves, spiritually banging our head against the wall, saying, this has got to work, this has got to work, this has got to work, I've got to be able to find him through prayer or going to church or, or all these spiritual things. And your, your response is just, slow down. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you hope. Father, help us to find that fulfillment today. I pray for the individuals who are saying, okay, how, how do I put this into place? What's my next step, Father, that you would give them that over the next moment as we sing this last song, that you would move at this time and that you would bring to us the good life you want for us, the life close to you that we would choose what is better and that it won't be taken from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Why don't you stand and sing with us? Thank you.